Hello everyone, Nick here, founding director of Alchemy. You're listening to the Make Some Noise podcast, the show all about brands and how they can make the world a better place. With me is my co-host, Adam. Hi guys. Brand identity, the follow-up, the much-promised follow-up, which is the process to how do you create a brand identity? Um, And specifically, how do you create it the alchemy way? How do you create it our way? Um, so I think it would be really good just to kind of go through what the elements are, what the journey is to that. Uh, we'll try and give some examples, I think, along the way. It might be useful for people to see those touch points. But let's cut straight to it, Nick. What is the process to creating a great brand identity that pushes business beyond? We break it down into four steps. So it's discovery, definition, creation and communication. So discovery is exactly what it says. Understanding the organization, its goals, its vision, its current challenges, because every business has a challenge, otherwise they wouldn't be engaging us. The people or audiences and it's seeking to connect with. So what's it's all of those things coming together now. It could be organizations might be like a credit union merging to create a new name, so they might need a new identity. Um, Charity might an old identity mightn't represent them anymore. So there's loads of different reasons why brand identities are needed. So the first one is, the first step of the process is the discovery. So once you've found out all this acres of research, the definition part is creating the brand platform. So it's, to me, this is where we're uncovering real opportunities. Here we ensure we uncover and define your why into one compelling truth. So it's all very well, as I said, to have lots of great research. But what's the one reason and what's the one compelling actionable idea that we can then bring to life? So at Alchemy, we dig deep to find a brand's true individuality. And this really sets the framework for everything else to come. And it allows the brand to meet its goals. Step three is the creation. It's building upon that strategic intent and the business's mission and vision and creating that brand platform. So it's the act of brand expression that inspires people to think, feel, or act in a certain way. So it's this stage of the process that we're creating the brand identity, the mark, the colors, illustrations, the imagery, all of those good things. And finally, number four is communication. So bringing it to life in a way that attracts and is powerful and makes a positive difference. And that's across a range of different applications from websites to livery to print, to podcast or anything that your brand might sit upon. So they're the four elements really that we would use in each and every brand so identity. Just to recap very quickly, discovery, getting to know who it is that you're trying to create a brand identity for. What do they do? Who do they serve? I think working out who is their customer stroke client, who their real customer is. Yeah, getting, really building that richer picture. Working out who the competitors are, their market, yeah. all of that kind of good yeah. stuff. Knowing their journey to there. And we're, uh, I suppose also working out their future journey. Then definition is just honing that all down to what we said there before in previous episodes. This idea of a compelling idea that unites and drives yeah. everything forward. Yeah, one compelling, actionable idea. It's that kind of really getting, we love nothing better than to get under the skin of a brand and really uncover that real individuality. And that's where I suppose we bring our little bit of magic to it. And then it's the part that we're specifically focusing on here, 
where it's just the creative part, the yeah. part that everyone sees, the the point of ignition where you you see it, touch it, smell it, feel it. Yeah. And finally, it's how you apply that out because there's no point having a great identity if it's applied out in a in a schlocky, horrible way. I think it's underestimated too often how the application of an identity is vital to manifesting its real opportunity. Yeah, and I think that's where I suppose we we don't call a, a brand guideline a guideline. We call it a brand book because we think it should impart equally the thinking behind the brand as well as the operational way to use it. So it's not enough just to have an operational guideline anymore to go, okay, your logo goes in the corner there and your strap line sits underneath it. That's really old fashioned thinking. So great identity should flex to the application it needs to sit upon. And we create brand books because we really want to educate um, employees and anybody that comes into contact with the brand. So great branding starts from the inside out in a company. So if everybody gets behind the true meaning of a brand and applies a brand identity in the way it should, it's going to sing. It's really going to do what you want it to do. A day in the life of the Alchemy Studio, you've worked out what the company was about. You've worked out where their market is going. You've worked out who their audience is. You've worked out what they should be doing. Also conjured up the idea that unites and drives them. And you've got everyone on board with that. Brilliant. So now you have all of that and you're in the studio, pen in hand. What's the first step in creating this uh, wonderful visual identity? I think the first thing we would normally do is get fully inspired, get behind. You know, we also look at the competitors and all of that. And, you know, we look at the competitors at the start of the journey because you're kind of going, how can we stand out against it? But then you take a fresh look now from a visual perspective. And if there's similar conventions, like if everyone's using blue, for example, or if everybody has a round logo, it's your opportunity to have a square logo or have no symbol at all and just have a, a logo type. But we would get look at all sorts of different sectors, different brands. What's a, what are they doing right? So really get inspired. I think that's one of the first thing I would normally do. What what do you think, Adam? I that's uh, yeah, it's interesting because I mean, I think one of the mistakes sometimes that designers make is go look at other design. I think it can be the same with brand. You can you could go and just look at other great brands. I think sometimes that's a bit of a misstep. I think sometimes you just gotta, you can look at all that, you can put that on the wall, but I think you've got to go somewhere deeper and richer. And I, I, I'm reminded of Paul Smith, the fashion designer and his phrase, you know, inspiration comes from everywhere. Yeah. And I agree with that. Yeah. Inspiration does come from everywhere. It comes from, going for a walk it comes from looking at you know the color palette i mean of trees the you know peter savile the designer often does these kind of pantone swatches of landscapes so he literally takes the colors that he sees in a scottish mountain and he he pins the pantone swatches mm. down a page i think interior design works though that way too you're bringing nature inside so on trend color palette might literally be on trend but the great ones use outside influence nature or this picture of a beautiful scene or I think your sources for inspiration need to be richer and more primary I think you have to go beyond looking at everyone else and trying to do just slightly better than that I think you have to go somewhere richer more authentic so I generally do that I'll, I'll really try and mine a, a, a deeper trove and then I do think it is 
pen and paper. I do think it is scribbling out some, some of those ideas. I think I know designers who do word maps. Um, they literally put a, you know, the, the keyword in the middle of the page and they start to do these kind of mind maps of words that come out of it to try and find that little bit of magic. Um, I know others that do these, you know, little kind of scribbles and little kind of things. Others do mood boards. Sometimes I do all of those things. You're, I, yeah. you're always looking to try and find that little bit of a, a way in um, to find the magic, I think. Mm. And I think it's, it's, it's fair to say that at this point, we've already been through discovery and definition. So we might have been working with the client for six to eight weeks at this point. So I think subconsciously, for me anyway, ideas are already forming on that journey. You kind of know various things that what it needs to do to meet the the goals it needs to you almost sometimes have a color in your mind throughout that journey okay it can definitely be this particular color sure so i think ideas are already forming and you're nearly really excited at that point go great now we're now now it's time to be creative but i think mistakes that some designers could make is just to go wild at that point and ignore all the research and the discovering definitions being done I think that's where the success of any brand identity project is you have to really bring to life the vision of the organization the goals all of those things so every single visual tip or trick or new innovation that we create at this point has to bring all of that to life yes I remember when we were working on the Irish Heart Foundation the strategic platform that had been created was the idea that all our hearts were connected. Yeah. That was the driving idea that we had to find a way to bring to life. Mm. Obviously, having a heart was an obvious motif that you had to keep. But how do you create a heart that's connected? But I think as well that one of the, the parts of that particular project was to uh, lead with hope and love and care. As you're saying, the heart and the emotion, all of that, as opposed to any other kind of fear-based, I think, cancer-owned fear, didn't they? the... I think the part that I'm talking about there, the connected hearts, was how did that come come through in the the logo part? Yeah. I think the hope part was encapsulated through the richer colour palette. Sure. And the language yeah. that we use. So you're absolutely right to name check it. So a lot of these ingredients come in. Mm. So it had to be positive. It had to be. Uh, it had because what you're trying to say with that particular case in point was that an awful lot of um, elements could be conquered. And we can spare people a lot of pain. And that yeah. our lives are connected. Our yeah. loved ones are connected to us. So why wouldn't we want to spare each other pain? A connected heart, a colour palette full of joy, mm. um, impactful, vibrant and full of life. Language that was short, human, and brevity. And the, I think the whole thing there was create a, a broader visual identity. That was just a snapshot. So that's just one example of one there as a way in. I think you've spoken previously about uh, savvy credit union and you can see there that you know your example there before was that other credit unions were blue so you were going to here with savvy credit union you were going to use green as a color so that's something where the business side of things where you go right i'm deliberately going to zig when others zag mm. there's a gap here i'm going to use a palette here i think what's interesting about the savvy credit union palette is how vibrant it is but also how you drew it from the landscape of Ireland as well. It, it doesn't feel like an American colour palette. Mm. It doesn't feel like it comes from Asia. It's intrinsically Irish. So. Yeah, we had to build upon a rich heritage. Um, and it was 54 years. or So it had to be that we had to signify somehow this wasn't a brand new 
credit union. This was built on years of a proud ethos of people helping people and this proud Irish authentic heritage. So green was for us, uh, you know, the lime grill, that zesty lime really gave it that fresh thinking and yes. that authentic signature. And I think it's interesting how the logo itself captures like things like the cross St. Patrick, which is a cross shape. It covers off the idea of people coming together. But it also, as you've alluded to before, has a heart in the middle of it because of this idea. So I think it's interesting how these things start, but they quickly merge into a broader pool of assets. So, for example, we've talked there how, on the one hand, you've a logo, but over here you've a colour palette. I think years ago, a brand identity might own one colour. It might just be blue or red, and that would be kind of it. But we always create what we would call a secondary colour palette. So it allows the brand identity to live and breathe a little bit more. It allows it to flex and to be a little bit more agile. It also keeps it current, I think. So it's not ever going to, oh my God, be a bit monotonous. You know, so it gives it kind of legs. So I think by having a broader colour palette starts to let the identity breathe a little bit. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. I'm minded of, I remember Vodafone did a study years ago about they were spending more on advertising than ever before and getting less recognised. And the reason behind it was they owned the colour red. So whenever anybody saw that particular shade of red, they knew not to look. It's interesting how, on the one hand, you would think from a brand point, if you're okay, job done, you know, everyone recognises it from that red. But that recognition was paying off in, a, in, a, in the wrong way, in the sense that you're monotone. And I think what you're talking about there by having a secondary colour palette is that it allows you to speak in all the different colours of life. Yeah. I think that's a really good case in point. So we've talked about their logo and logo type. So logo type is where logo is literally just the type. IBM would be a, a really simple case in point of that. It's just the three letters, but treated in a particular way. Whereas a logo is things like the Apple icon. Yeah. The so, Nesta mark we create doesn't, doesn't have a symbol either. No, because I think the name is strong enough in its own Absolutely, right. Absolutely, yeah. Um, putting a nest with it just sends it off in the wrong direction. Yeah. So I think that's a really good example. You have other elements within there. So let's ch- chat about a few of them. So colour palette, typography would be the next one on my list. Sure. So I think a lot of people would be well aware from working away on their Word, PCs and what have you, that there's a range of fonts you can choose and that you can be Times Roman and you can look very official or you be Comic Sans and look a bit jokey. But there's obviously billions and billions of fonts out there. Why does a brand choose the font that it does do? Why does a brand creator choose the fonts that it does do? And are they that important? Oh, I would say they're massively important. You only have to look at the likes of Aircom, who became Air, who created their font years ago, to have that added distinction. So not only was it important to have a mark that stood out and a colour palette that stood out, but to have a font that you could own and trademark and use across all of your collateral. All of this subconsciously helps to build your brand. One of the oldest cases in point of brand doing this is the free one, Times. Sure, which sits yeah, on your machine, yeah, created yeah. by the Times Newspaper of London, and because they wanted a, a typeface that looked regal, elegant, and easy to read. So specifically created for the Times Newspaper. And that's a brand identity in its own right, mm. if you think about it. Mm. So 
I think as well, there's plenty of modern examples of uh, a plethora of brands at the moment creating their own. Yeah, you know, we created one for Dublin Whiskey Company. That yes. was actually a bit of fun, wasn't it? Yes, based on the actual uh, typefaces used on whiskey barrels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so sometimes they, they allow you to have a really unique voice. Mm. I think very smart brands are using them in very smart ways. We also name-checked the London Underground before who famously uses the typeface Johnson. Yeah. And if you're ever, if you want to be a bit nerdy about this, <laughs> look at the dot over the eye next time you're in the London Underground. It is not a dot. And I think that's <laughs> how you can recognise it. Um, the other things that, you know, make up a modern brand nowadays are things like icons, iconography. I think with digital technology, we're seeing iconography and its ownable nature grow ever more. Yeah, definitely. I think... We've always been big fans because we love creating iconography and we love illustration in the studio. But I think it can aid, like, for example, on wayfinding. Yes. It can come into its own. So even if right now on, in lockdown, if you go for a walk up to your local park, you'll see directional signage of some kind. Yes. So you'll probably see some illustrations or icons there. Another obvious example would be on your website. It yeah. aids direction, it aids accessibility, it points people in the right direction. It clarifies, it simplifies. It's all of those things. It makes, you might have a long bit of text or it makes, it breaks that up. So it's subconsciously, it's your communication with people visually. It's a universal language. I think one of the oldest examples you'll see if you go around an airport, you'll see the toilet sign and you, you know exactly this exactly. is the men's toilet and this yeah. the women's toilet. Yeah. One of the, the organisations that I think have been using it the longest is the Olympics because you needed to have a language that spoke to the entire world but let them know, well, archery is this way, sailing is this way, the toilets are over there and information is over here. And I think that's what icons do. They yeah. become this universal language. And, and that's a great example, just to aid that clarity, as I was saying there. Yeah, yeah. and I think great designers... Um, push it just that little bit further to go how can I make it clearer mm. but also how can I own Simpler. it how yeah. can I own it yeah I'm, I'm always reminded of an old creative director of mine Ken Cato used to say you know it's not just a case of picking out images that work for this brand you have to think about how do you own those images how does this brand own those images sure and that was a real challenge to get your head around you go like well is it that you tint them is it the subject matter is it the way and it's all those things when you're curating imagery for a brand, it's not a smorgasbord, it's not every image under the sun. It has to have a specific stylistic approach, content, or or some, yeah, something. Yeah, no, completely. And I think just a, a simple example of that would be the likes of, we work with some bedding brands. A lot of the competitors used to shoot a nice shot of a bed, but there was no human element in there whatsoever. There wasn't a person in sight. Everything was cold. So every bed brand looked the same. They all, you know, featured it. And it was clearly just a shoot in a large building because it clearly wasn't in people's homes. There was no life in them. Everything was dull. So big opportunity to stand out. So we commissioned a photo shoot and it was for the Odearest actually work. And we were put people in those and living and breathing the Odiris brand and really putting that injecting personality and a bit of colour and help bring the Odiris brand to life. And becomes a unique visual language to them. Yeah. I think it's very interesting when uh, a brand knows what its style is. It doesn't matter 
who brings that to life. It doesn't matter who the photographer is, the filmographer, the mm. videographer, it doesn't matter. And I think it's it's important to say that you mightn't just have one imagery style, you might have multiple, so for multiple applications. Yeah, you, you might have a product style, yeah. you might have um, a real lifestyle, you yeah. might have a... Yeah. Yeah, as you said, an abstract style. Anything that helps, you know, give you that added distinction, but also communicates what you need to get across. Like as if you're selling a product. What I'm finding really interesting at the moment is we're always being big proponents of illustration. Always, always, always. And we've always kind of uh, pushed it forward because we find it a unique and ownable voice. Mm. But what I'm seeing nowadays in the past few years is this sort of resurgence, a huge resurgence in the use of illustration principally driven by again by digital because it's a much more flexible format to use mm. online it's also online. a nice way to, that it can be brought to life like by animation yes so you can see it move and i think that's when it starts to get really exciting yes i think it can also in a way tell abstract stories in a way that literal photography can't mm. i think photography has great tone and humanity to it but can't always tell complex stories which Illustration seems to lend itself to. So again, it's one of those interesting components that combine with iconography and your image style that can come together. Materials as well, your choice of materials. We we always place great emphasis. Like if, if you're having a printed brochure, I know you're a big fan of this, picking out the right paper for it is always key. Not just any paper, but the one that when it's in somebody's hand, that it matches the brand intent and conveys like if it needs to convey a sense of quality it conveys a sense of quality if it needs to convey a sense of solidity it conveys that so that selecting materials or yeah i think it's a great point and i think even just on a more physical experience when we were working with savvy and the the um, darmody architects on the the flagship store we were tasked with creating various parts of that and we had a, a very visual sort of timeline board and we were coming up with lots of different materials and I remember working with lots of different uh, companies at the time and they were like oh this can't be done that can't be done but also I think it's this is where you need to stand your ground and find ways to stand out and keep that passion going and kind of going you know we can definitely make it out of this material what's the problem so always to push don't take no for an answer would be my advice and keep pushing when you know, why couldn't that be printed on a piece of wood, for example? It's really having that passion and being brave to keep going for it and keep pushing ahead and going, yeah, it can be done. I think it's going where the brand wants to go. Yeah. If the brand needs this, then that's what it needs yeah, to Yeah, if be you done. know the brand is all about fresh thinking, it's, it's, it's not okay just to put it on any old stock yeah. or any old paper or any old, oh yeah. We'll just put the values there on a nice little frames there up on the wall. Yeah. You know, if you're different, you want to sound different, you want to think different, you want to act different. Yeah. If if your if your brand is built on eco credentials, you have to make sure that everything that you're using matches those credentials. Yeah. Yeah. I think you spoke there earlier about guidelines, but for me, guidelines are the condensation of that. But the key point here is that it's how things are brought together. How, as a creative conductor, you bring the elements together appropriately to each occasion. Yeah, and I think um, language and tone of voice are often an area that not is forgotten about, but I think they play a vital role and a key oh, yeah. component yeah. 
in that as another whole area that would go in the, the guidebook. And I think language and tone of voice would obviously come from the, the earlier part of the process of definition. So your brand platform, your positioning, your purpose, your brand values. So your your language and tone of voice should really start communicating what you stand for. No, that's a great point. I, I think that's that, that was a really, really good point. I'm glad you brought me back to that. I mean, the, one of the things I'm minded of is when I was a younger designer, I used to work with the content that was given to me. Mm. So a client would send you a Word document, whatever, and your job was really just to lay that out. Yeah. But in my position now, I think as brand creator, when we're shipped content, I think nine times out of ten, we're looking at it going, that's not how your brand speaks. Yeah. That's not saying the right thing. And more often than not, we're rewriting that or having that. Rewritten. Making it more accessible, more kind of jargon free and speaking to uh, the target audience in an easy to understand way. And also if that's what the brand asks for. Yeah. But also not to give too much away. You want to have a call to action there too. You want people to pick up the phone. You want people to go onto your website. But I think there's another, you've got a really good example of Spotify and their, their whole yeah. campaign. Yeah, no, really. And that was really all about language, I did, wasn't I did it? love that. Um, I think they had things that, what they'd done there, now I think this comes back to your thing of like looking at an essential idea. What did Spotify have? They had all this information about the kind of playlists that people were creating and making. And some of the titles, they're like the old mixtapes. You remember people did mixtapes? Uh, and the titles that people gave mixtapes, you know, some breakup songs and all that kind of stuff. But Spotify were able to use some of these things in, in an anonymous way, but it was so joyful. The one that sticks to mind was, and they did this as a kind of billboard campaign, the one that sticks to mind was, there's a playlist called Paul, You're Fired. Paul, we're sorry you have to hear about it this way. Here's the songs. Mm. Um, they did millions of them mm. and they were so witty and insightful. I think what's so fabulous about that and people might think, well, what's so great about that? But it's really mirroring pe- mirroring people's lives back at them in a really true to life manner. So you're going, Jesus, that's so clever because everyone gets it. And everyone's dying to hear the next campaign or the next piece yeah. that comes from Spotify. And that's the real trick here. You want to know more. You want to hear more. I think that's where a brand really taps into the essence of something beyond its service, beyond what it's literally doing. Yeah. Why? It's creating a community of kind of like-minded people, isn't it? It's building that kind of, we're all in this together and you're building followers and it's all of those things. I I think it's also just that thing where you're just speaking to people and it's relevant. Totally. I I think it's something that, you can see brands are struggling with this more and more recently. How do they stay relevant? How do they tell stories? Mm. Um, Spotify found a brilliant way to tell stories that was relevant to them. I think one of the missteps I'm seeing so often from brands now is they're telling stories that are not relevant. I think it was really well pointed out the other day by uh, Dave Trott, famous copywriter in London. He wrote a piece on Burger King. Burger King are currently advertising about you know getting rid of plastic in the ocean. Mm. And he said, well, Firstly, why don't you start off with, you know, the ethical nature of the produce that you're serving? And he said, pay your staff better and give me a product that I start there and then tell me about the oceans. Sure. But yeah. if you're not paying your staff well mm. and if the beef in your burger is contributing to our environmental disaster, mm. then, you know, you're not talking about the right thing. Yeah, you're- no, that's a good point. People are so clued in now more than ever before. And I think COVID has played its part in that. 
people have time now to really kind of understand what a brand's how a brand is behaving and is it doing it well like Amazon is another one I think that we've spoken about regarding staff and ethics and but yeah people can see right through stuff now so when you we're building brands you really need to know uh, your audience and how well educated they are on this front these well, days. I, I would always assume everyone's you know well well up on something mm. you know because I think what people can sense is inauthenticity if that's a word yeah so I think a brand, all the ones that we work on, we build them authenticity. And I think it was a great point from Dave Trot, you're a burger company, mm. maybe talk about, um, don't jump on some bandwagon, sort this bit out first. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with all brands, is that if you want to tell stories, start with being authentic. Pick the channels that's relevant to you, so there's no point of being on Instagram if, you know, you're... Yeah, if you you're know a plumber. Me. Yeah. <laughs> so... I, I think that's the thing, or if you're selling gas boilers, I mean, this is there's just it's the kind of thing that you have to f- go somewhere deeper, and I think it comes back to that why, and then you bring it together through a, a vibrant visual language yeah. that speaks to people. I think that was a really good journey through all those pieces. Well, giving away some of our magic magic potion, you can't give away everything, sure you can't. But I, there are many elements that come yeah. together. But nowadays, what we've done is build up long-term relationship with clients where the goal is like, right, we've redone everything, but we're going to work together to keep this growing, Mm. to keep iterating because your brand, if it doesn't grow, it's gone back. Years ago, you'd you'd hire a copywriter or you'd hire this, that and the next. Now it's, it's much more, I suppose, nimble if we can do all the everything in the one yeah I think it's more holistic but what what for me the importance of this is is that if you're taking it from agency A and taking it to agency B you have to educate agency B and what I used to see and I still see occasionally when it goes over to another um, agency is that what you see is a total misinterpretation of intent and then you start getting that inauthentic voice creeping in but I, I think the key thing is that you've you've got to have somebody within your organization or within your agency who understands you and you work with them and you keep growing what your brand is about. And you keep looking at those elements, you keep moving it forward and you keep basing it on that great idea. So I think that's a really good place to end up on this episode. I really hope it, it gives people a snapshot as to why we think that branding is, is such an exciting area and why it's such a powerful unutilized tool often for for great business it's almost a rosetta stone i think to understanding and to connecting with people and to just making the world that little bit brighter so that's all for me adam and for me nick and thanks again for listening everybody and um subscribe share ask us what you'd like to hear on the next one and that's us over and out thank you